Just before I walked out the door, <clears throat> Brother Gabe sent me one word with a dictionary definition. And I didn't have a chance to print it out before I came, but the word was pioneer. And there were three definitions. One was, the first one was, help me remember this. What we would think of someone who goes into what we would think of uncharted. Someone who goes into uncharted territory. The second one was in ecology. Any life form that opens the way or creates an ecological environment for other life forms to follow. And the third was the foot soldiers who go ahead of the main body of, 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 of soldiers, the army. And I immediately thought of the Hebrew word halutzim that we were reminded of last year or year before last. And all of the scriptures, unbeknownst to him and prior to hearing from him, I had a very pertinent scripture marked down uh, about that exact spirit, the spirit of, of pilgrimage. Thank you, Jesus. But before the meeting, when I was praying at home and, and seeking the Lord's will and direction, for tonight, he only gave me one phrase, and it was so simple, I laughed at it at first. But as I continued to pray, I felt the Lord bring it back to me again and again, so I went and typed it in, and then he started speaking to me just from that phrase. And the simple phrase that was already printed and closed, folded in my Bible before Brother, Brother Gabe sent me that word, pioneer, the, the phrase the Lord had given me was this, it's okay to move forward. See, you laughed at it too. It's okay to move forward. That's it. And the first thing that came to me was, uh-oh, that's one of those phrases, you know, move forward. Whenever somebody's not moving forward, <clears throat> you ask, how is so-and-so doing? And they say, well, I, I think he's moving forward. And that means he's not in a good place, but I hope there's mo movement in the right direction. Kind of one of those, it's part of our fellowship jargon, this phrase, moving forward. But I felt the Lord bring it to me. And then this scripture came afterwards. Thank you, Jesus. It was, it had been a long time since Moses had received the burden from God for his people. And you know that his first effort to realize that burden was in the flesh and God was not pleased with it and he ended up fleeing to the land of Midian. And there he is tending goats for 40 years and the Lord begins to speak to him again, right? And he is not as eager to do it God's way as he was to do it his way, if you know what I mean. When it was up to his flesh, when he thought it could be fulfilled in the flesh, he was spontaneous. He was instant, immediate, in season and out of season. He knew how to react. But when he gets a clear message from God that that's not going to work, 
He kind of puts things in park. I think he added the emergency brake also. Amen. And so when the Lord begins to call him and prompt him to go back to Egypt and do it his way after 40 years of working out all that frustration that he must have had pent up inside of him, he doesn't really leap at the opportunity, does he? In fact, he offers to the Lord every conceivable reason why it's not okay to move forward. He tells the Lord he can't speak. The Lord keeps talking to him and there at the end of the conversation he says, neither before you spoke to me nor since you spoke to me can I speak. <laughs> this encounter hadn't improved me, God. I'm, I'm still me and I can't do this. And he keeps offering one excuse after another until it says that the anger of the Lord burned against him. And I think it's important this man who is called the meekest man on earth. I think it's important to understand that there is a certain kind of hesitation, there's a certain kind of deliberation and excuse making that is not humility and it does not evoke understanding or sympathy from God. It, it evokes frustration and anger from God. And that's what happened to, to Moses. And so really being left with no option except to say yes, he sets off to do God's will. He makes his way to Egypt and he just starts doing what God told him to do. He goes to Pharaoh and he says, thus says Yahweh, let my people go. And Pharaoh doesn't like this. He, he doesn't, he's not convinced at all. And Pharaoh must have felt something similar. I'm not convinced either before you spoke to me or after you spoke to me, Moses. They're staying. <laughs> In fact, when he leaves the courts of Pharaoh the first time there, it says that the children of Israel, the, the foremen of the slaves, were standing outside uh, waiting for Moses. And they said, you have made us odious in the nostrils of Pharaoh. Thanks a lot. You've really changed things for the worse. <laughs> and um, I don't remember his response, if he had any, but it wasn't an auspicious beginning. We can say that for sure. But the Lord had promised that he would be with Moses and he had given him power. And so Moses didn't balk, he didn't back away and second guess himself or God at the first attempts when everything seemed to get worse. In fact, he just doubled down and came again. And again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Thank you, Jesus. And he kept bringing this this opportunity to Pharaoh, for Pharaoh to do it God's way. Pharaoh couldn't do it God's way. But Moses was surrendered that that's the only way he was going to do it. And you know that the ten plagues came escalating in their severity. And God was trying to shake Pharaoh free. Trying to bring him to a place where he could let go of his stubborn pride and commitment to wrongdoing. We know that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, but with each blow, his pride seemed to get humbled, but often only temporarily. Pharaoh kind of came to repentance like King Saul would come to repentance. Remember how many times King Saul would have these evil intentions and plans and he would go to execute them and God would speak to Saul through David. 
would show him that he was in the, in the wrong and that David was not out to get him. And Saul would repent. He would say, oh, I have sinned. My son David, please come home to me. But David always stayed just, just out, outside the reach of Saul's spear because at any minute it could fly and it wouldn't necessarily be uh, kindness. It would be a, a threat of death. So David had to distrust Saul because Saul's repentance was like Pharaoh's. It was partial. It was this partial repentance that just kept being repented of. You'll remember the Apostle Paul talked about a repentance not to be repented of, but these people hadn't come to that. So Pharaoh would say, let him go, and then <laughs> things would get better, and he'd say, oh, don't let him go. You know. And so on and on it went until that last night when the angel of judgment came and executed judgment on the gods of Egypt. And a whale went up from the land of Egypt that night and the blood was on the lintel above and beside the door. They ate standing in haste and they all left. And see, we've talked about this before, but here Moses is at the pivot point, at the turning point when things finally seem to be going in his favor, when the headwinds of angelic power are at his back and the prompting of the Lord sends him in a way that just doesn't make sense. The Bible specifically tells us that, quote, he did not lead them on the direct route through the land of the Philistines, but he led them through the wilderness. However, in order to go through the wilderness, there was a barrier that they had to cross first. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Finally, Pharaoh has given a window of escape. Finally, after decades of preparation, after providential and angelic intervention, finally, they have a window of escape and more than a million slaves shuffle from their houses in the, in the, in the, the cover of darkness that night and make their way out and they're following this man Moses and he takes them not to a river, not to a bridge. He takes them to the banks of an ocean. It's as if he's playing a joke on them. It's as if the enemy has set this whole thing up so that they would be able to be pinned down by Pharaoh who's already repenting of his repentance. You have got to try to put yourself in the place of Moses that night. You have got to hear the clamor of chariots and the hoofbeats of horses, and you've got to see the sight of torches coming out of the city of, of Egypt there. You've got to picture what he was feeling when he stood there at that ocean. And it says that that's the first time the children of Israel began to clamor against him. They're very alarmed. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand still and see the salvation of Yahweh 
which he will accomplish for you this day. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. Moses was a prophet, and he was a meek man. The greatest expression of meekness and humility is to trust when it just doesn't make sense. To go in a way that you would not go. As the Lord said to Peter, the day is coming when you will stretch forth your hands and be led in a way that you would not go. I believe that that's what Moses was feeling in this moment. I believe he was in a war of who he was going to trust. Is he going to trust himself? Not just himself, is he going to trust reality? Or is he going to trust God? Is he going to trust these million brothers and sisters that he have just left Egypt? Or is he going to trust God? And there had to have been a lot of voices standing at his elbow saying, Moses, shouldn't we just go on the road of the Philistines? We could be there to, to the promised land in 11 days. Come on, Moses. <laughs> Did you really hear from God now? I mean, I want to do God's will and all, but this seems ridiculous. In fact, this seems impossible. If it's God's will for us to go to Canaan and there's only one road between us and Canaan, then it seems like it's God's will for us to go ahead and take that road. This process of elimination is how most Christians pretend to walk by faith. This process where we hear God's will, we hear God's promise, and we say it can't be this and it can't be that, therefore it must be. But God is in the business of doing the can't-dos. Do you understand? That's how he works. This process of elimination, that's how Abraham got so mixed up. Do you remember the patriarch Abraham? God has told me that I would be the father of many nations. He has a relationship with me so that I might command my children after me in righteousness. And yet, we have got this insurmountable problem. <laughs> We're barren. We don't have children. And I am past the age of even thinking it's possible. Let's face reality, Sarah. This isn't going to happen conventionally. No, it's not. But it's not going to happen interventionally either. It's going to happen supernaturally. It's going to happen God's way. So Abraham tries to make Lot his, his heir, you know, Eliezer his heir. He even takes Hagar, but he doesn't stand still and wait for the salvation of God. Wait for God to say, go. Wait for God to say, it's okay to move forward. Amen. But Moses said to the people that night, do not fear. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you this day. For the Egyptians which you see today, 
you will never see them again forever. There's the prophet slipping in. There's the word of faith. He just feels it. (laughs) He's already seen the Nile turn to blood. He's already seen the hand of God ten times. He's already seen Pharaoh do the impossible. And so he's not going to start hijacking his faith with reasonable thinking at this point. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. I want that to just settle in your ears for a minute. If the flesh can't be quiet, the spirit can't be active. If the flesh can't get still, the spirit can't move. If the flesh can't shut up, the spirit can't be heard. This is the unforgettable lesson of Zechariah when after 430 years of silence, he finally hears the voice of God in his accustomed, his customary worship. Something unaccustomed happens. An angel of the Lord stands before him and tells him about an incredible thing that's going to happen. What does he tell him? He tells him that you who are barren are going to give birth to a son and he shall be the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He shall prepare the way of the Lord. And Zechariah can't be still and see the salvation of God. He cannot be silent and let the Lord fight for him. He opens his mouth and starts to pour the acid of human reasoning on the promise of divine gifting. He says, how can this thing be? And the angel tells him how. This is how. Ready? You're going to be mute. That's how. If you could talk about this until the day it came, you know what? You'd probably kill the promise before it arrived. But God can shut your mouth. The spirit cannot move unless the flesh can be still. The spirit cannot speak unless the flesh can be quiet. How many of you remember when Jesus took Peter, James, and John from among the 12 to a special encounter with God on the Mount of Transfiguration? This is an insight not only into the relationship Jesus has with God, Amen. And the continuity that Jesus fulfills in the prophets Moses and Elijah. But this is a really profound insight that Peter is not even allowed to talk about until after the resurrection. He was forbidden to mention that experience until after the resurrection. Forbidden by Jesus, as we're told in the epistle of Peter. Because it is a supernatural insight into the nature of his kingdom that it is a spiritual kingdom. That's a whole nother topic. But what happens 
Peter doesn't let the revelation soak in. In fact, he doesn't really get it at all until really after the resurrection. What happens is Peter starts to talk. Just like poor Zechariah. Peter opens his mouth and he says, it's really good that we're here because we can build three tabernacles. And it says he said this because he did not, because he was afraid and he did not know what to say. Isn't it funny how whenever we get in a position where we don't know what to say, we say. <laughs> so that's what Moses is trying to tell the children of Israel. Learn something here. You got to let God. You can't do it all yourself. You got to give room for feeling what I'm feeling. When I say the Egyptians, which you see this day, you will never see again forever. Now, he couldn't have said that the day before. It's not that we just drum up platitudes to falsely reassure people about things that aren't really going to be that easy or good. Moses was able to face reality when it was bad, but he was also able to feel it when it was good and it was coming right from God. Amen. He was willing to go against common sense. He was willing to go against the flesh. He was willing to go against his advisors and his own eyes and his own brain. He was willing to walk right to the brink of a Red Sea. What he wasn't willing to do was take one step that he didn't feel the Lord prompting because the Lord had said, go and I will be with you and I will be with your mouth. Remember how I ended last week's meeting? We can do it all if God is with us, being in his presence. Don't send us unless your presence goes with us, right? So Moses tells the children of Israel to be quiet. But then listen to what the Lord says to Moses. Moses says, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will accomplish for you this day. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never again see forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying to me? So apparently something happened in this gap. Apparently he gave the reassurance that the Holy Spirit was prompting the prophet to give and he turned around, God, and started weeping and calling out to God. He wasn't above feeling the vulnerability of the circumstance. He wasn't above feeling the risk of the faith he was betting everything on. Moses said, it's all gonna be okay, and turned around and started crying. Have you ever done that? So now it's the Lord's turn to tell Moses to be quiet. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell the, uh, tell the sons of Israel to move forward. There's a Red Sea there. <laughs> and we know they didn't take a step all night until morning was dawning. But something moved forward inside of them. 
Amen. They heard from God and they took a step toward him. A step of trust, a step of faith. Tell the sons of Israel to move forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. And as for me, so the Lord says, Moses, as for you, there's something you gotta do and there's something I'm gonna do. If you'll do your part, I'll do mine. As for me, so as for you, stretch out your staff. As for me, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after you. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Have you ever felt like God opened up the Red Sea only to turn around and work on Pharaoh's heart until he got really, really mad at you? only to make Pharaoh so mad that he followed you into your victory? Oh, great, he opened the Red Sea and now the devil's coming in. But it was so that he would be honored. God had Pharaoh's demise in mind, amen? God wanted to bring down Pharaoh and if you can trust God to open the Red Sea and then trust God to let the, the devil come in after you, just keep trusting him and try to ignore the sound of those chariots. Well, don't ignore it when the sound means the wheels are coming off. <laughs> but if you can keep trusting him, the very thing that seems like, oh well, the devil squeaked in after all, is gonna be the circumstance through which God is gonna be honored by the devil, <laughs> by Pharaoh. Did you hear that? I will harden Pharaoh's hearts, heart and the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after you and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. God doesn't just want to keep you one step out of the enemy's reach. He wants the enemy to get close enough so that he can be honored when he utterly defeats them in the bottom of the Red Sea. Have you ever heard my dad say, God doesn't want to snatch you out of the hard situation? He wants to overcome the hard situation through you? God needs your complicity. He needs your compliance. He needs you to not freak out when the Red Sea's open and you can hear the horses right behind you. He needs you to go ahead and believe that he's gonna get the honor out of this situation. Maybe you're all filling in the blanks, but I've seen Pharaoh follow some people into their victory. I've seen the devil walk between the walls of the Red Sea. Just about the time someone starts to catch their stride, just about the time they start to walk through the new and open door, just about the time they start coming into their ministry, I've seen the devil 
slip up behind them, causing all kinds of trouble. And at first, it looked like a terrible defeat. Maybe there was a loss involved. Maybe there were doubts involved. Maybe there were setbacks. Maybe somebody died. But the devil got caught. He got trapped in the Red Sea before that battle and that struggle was over. I remember times in my own life right when it felt like the winds of angelic power and providential grace were at our backs. Right as it felt like we were coming through that new and open door, I remember realizing the devil had followed us into the Red Sea. But I can tell you that everything that went into that Red Sea, God has brought out that was good, that was of him. Those who have died, they're not in the bottom of the Red Sea. Those who have died in faith, they're higher than the highest mountains. They're in greener pastures than the best in Canaan. They're in heavenly places with the Lord forever. But all the powers of the devil that conspired to stop the movement forward, they are underneath those waters. The chariots and the horsemen have drowned in the sea. You don't come out of it saying I had no problems. You don't come out of it saying I was squeaky clean. You come out of it saying I'm so glad that everything that was supposed to stay in the water is staying there forever. Amen. And I'm so glad I'm out on the other side doing God's will freer than I've ever been. And that I faced some battles and I struggled through some things. But Red Sea battles are so epic that you never have to fight them again. They're done. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. God allows things to happen that seem contrary to his will, that seem like they're going to overtake his will, but his purpose is to get the devil in a place of vulnerability and to show how powerless he really is when he tries to follow you through the path that can only be navigated by faith. If you're in a place of impossibility, if you're in a place that can only be survived by faith and the supernatural grace of God, then let the devil come after you and he's gonna let, his wheels are gonna come off in that place. Because he can't put on faith like a fake garment. He can't pretend. He can't get the power that you've got in the bottom of the Red Sea. His wheels can't go over the rocky bottom of the Red Sea. Those boulders are going to undo him. But they're not going to undo us if we can keep our faith in God and follow this man who's heard from God, who knows what he's talking about, or at least what God's talking about. The angel of the Lord, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. Now, I, there's a lot of reasons the angel might have gone behind them, but some of them are entirely favorable. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Sometimes God has to push you. <laughs> Amen. Okay, guys, we've been leading. Now we're going to do a little pushing. <laughs> Because I'm afraid if you keep looking behind you, you're going to be paralyzed by fear at Pharaoh and his army. So I'm just going to create a little screen here 
so that you can't see how close you're going to come to the clutches of the enemy. Because I would like to get him in the bottom of the Red Sea. And yea, though he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he better fear because I ain't going to be with him. We're going to leave him there. Okay, let's go, kids. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud along with darkness. It also gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all through the night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night. He didn't go like this. He put his hand out over the sea, and they watched all night, wondering, well, that's a little shallower now. <laughs> it is kind of, is it piling up to y'all? It looks like it's kind of piling up. Well, maybe if we had some boats, this would make a difference. <laughs> but by morning, it was enough, wasn't it? All night, the wind's blowing until the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit. Yippee! Just like God planned before the seas ever parted, he had in mind that they were going to follow after. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down. I think that's quite a way to put it. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of Egypt through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. God looked through the cloud and he said, there's this rebellious gaggle of troublemakers and partial repenters. Amen. Brought them into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve. And he made them drive with difficulty so the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them and against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak. So the morning watch, how fast did it take for the sea to divide? All night. How fast did it take for the sea to come back? The Egyptians couldn't even get back to the shore. This is not an issue. This is an issue of faith. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. 
And that's why God let him come. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which Yahweh had used against the Egyptians, the people feared Yahweh, and they believed in Yahweh and in his servant, Moses. We believe in this relationship that you have with God. Now, was it tested? Did they waver in that belief? Sadly, they did. But look what God can do when somebody can go against his carnal mind and accept God's leading and prompting. Do you think that the Lord was giving him his instructions written on tablets of stone? Go to the, the shores of, of, of the Red Sea. Do this, do that. No, I think that he was leading Moses with a trust that that pillar of fire was God's presence. And I've, I've recognized this. This is the same presence that I first encountered as it hovered in a bush. And I can't go anywhere without it. But if it's still there, come on, let's go. But it doesn't make sense, Moses. It doesn't matter, guys. And we're not doing what makes sense. We're going with God. They didn't have much of a window, did they? To get through the Red Sea before the Egyptians caught up. To get through the Red Sea before the waters needed to come back. They didn't have much of a window, did they? That's why Jesus tells the apostles, the times and seasons belong to the Father's authority. Perhaps the greatest thing, the greatest part of our obedience to God is to do it when God says. We want to do it when we're good and ready. We want to do it when it seems safer. We want to do it our way, ultimately. But timing represents the lordship of God. These things are reserved to the Father's authority. So timing represents the authority of God. This is why David says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. For surely in the rising of the waters, you will seek for him and you will not find him. There is such an instinct toward smugness in all of us. Where we want to do God's will, but we want to do it when we're good and ready. But if you start trying to get across when the waters are already coming back, you're only going to make it out into your grave. You've got to move when God says move. And the Lord is saying, it's okay to move forward. And you say, well, I feel like you might be referring to some change, some step, some victory that God is speaking to me about, but I stand at that victory tonight and I know that there is an ocean between me and it. But God wants you to get on your feet. Amen. He wants you to change your posture. He wants you to change your attitude. He wants you to stand there ready all night. Because in about 12 hours, your whole life could change. You move forward in your heart, in your mind, in your faith, before it's ever manifested in the physical. How many of you remember what we've taught about 
Whatever you ask in faith without any doubting, believe that you have received it and it will be granted unto you. Many teach that very foolishly. They say, believe you've been healed when you haven't been healed. They teach it very foolishly. But when you have encountered God, when God is doing a miracle for you, when he is parting the Red Seas, you're going to have to move forward right here in your heart and mind before your feet can ever take one step. Your faith is going to have to take a step and start moving before your body can catch up and start manifesting. So he says, move forward. Believe that you have received it. So that's something you have to do right now. And it will, future tense. How can you believe that you have received, past tense, something that still will be granted in the future? Because it happens in the realm of faith before it's realized in the realm of action. We're talking about the God who calls those things that are not as though they are. We're talking about the God who names a man father of many nations when as yet he's just a barren man with a barren wife. You've got to change your attitude. You've got to change your heart. You've got to change your perspective. You sit back in your long chair and get real comfortable there in the sands by the Red Sea and cross your legs and say, well, we'll see if God's going to do something. He's never going to do anything. You're going to sleep right through your visitation and you're going to only wake up as you see the Egyptians crowding all around you. But God's telling somebody it's okay to move forward tonight. It's okay to stand up and stop whining. It's okay to change your prayers of doubt into prayers of faith that shore up your confidence that God is God and he's in control and he is good. Amen. You think that you're waiting on something to change. You want to you want to change your relationship with God. You want to change your relationship with the church. You want to be baptized. You want to move forward. You want to become a responsible member. You want to be restored. The Lord's telling you it's okay to move forward. And don't you dare look at me or him or Moses and say, but the sea hadn't even begun to part. You just stand there and start feeling the wind. And you enjoy that wind all night. Because in the morning watch, the first watch of the morning, the Lord's going to say, okay, it's now. And those who are standing are going to take the first step. They're going to make it across in time. And don't think about what's happened in the past because God doesn't have, he's not, con he's not confined to your precedence of what's possible. He is a precedent-setting God. So he's going to do things that have never been done before. The worst thing you can do is say, I've been living for God for 30 years and that's never happened. You don't know anything about God if you don't expect that he's going to do something for you that's never happened until tonight. If you think you can forecast God, you can fit him into your little plan like some pea brain meteorologist pointing at a screen talking about a hurricane. You don't know anything about God. 
God sets the precedent. He's not confined by them. That's why Isaiah encourages the people of God in verse 43. He says, do not call to mind the former things or ponder the things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness and I will cause rivers to spring forth in the desert. Don't you be looking for some past precedent. Don't you be going through the roster of all the things you know God's capable of because he wants to do something for you that's never happened before. Do not call to mind the former things. Sometimes that's what it takes. You've got a background in slavery. You've got a history in bondage. You've got a memory with a whip cracking in it for all your lifetime. You've never known what it means to be an inheritor of the promised land. So don't call to mind the former things. Try to get Egypt out of your mind. Try to get your past experiences and limitations out of your mind and just believe that something is going to spring forth from God at just the right time for you. Brethren, there is one thing that I do. I put out of my mind what lies behind and I constantly reach forward to what lies ahead. The Lord's saying it's okay to move forward. Amen. It's okay to move forward. Amen. Paul said to Timothy, until I come Give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. That's what we're doing here tonight. Do not neglect the spiritual gift that is within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. That got my attention, and I looked it up, and it's true to the Greek. Take pains with these things. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will become evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do these, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Don't neglect... Keep it alive. Take pains to go deeper in the Word of God. Take pains to advance your gift, Timothy. So many people want a gift from God, but they don't want to go through the pain that Moses endured. They don't want to go through the pain of self-questioning. They don't want to go through the pain of uprooting the supremacy of the Adamic nature and its carnal mind in their life. They just want God to wave magic wands over their fallen condition and say, it's done. Abracadabra, you're all good now. 
Just confess Jesus as your personal Savior and you're all set. They don't believe that it is through many painful tribulations that we will enter the kingdom of God. They don't believe that they've got to work at this like it means something. They've got to strive to enter his rest. And what is his rest? That's the place where you're not doing it, where he's doing it through you. Where it is not you who speaks, but your father who speaks through you what to say and how to say it. I just want to tell somebody it's okay to move forward. It's okay to move forward. Tell the children of Israel, move forward. It's not like it was before. God's done a lot in Egypt. He's done a lot in you. He's worked and prepared Moses for this moment. Can you trust him? It's okay to move forward. You may have been a Christian for so long, a man or a woman of prayer. You may be devout and full of faith, but have you ever wondered if there was more to your relationship with God? He's telling you it's okay to move forward. You may not leave this meeting having spoken in tongues. You may not be baptized in the Holy Spirit before you walk out, but your heart is going to change. Your faith is going to be activated. Your faith is going to get up off its seat and stand on its feet. And by morning, by the first watch, the Lord is going to bring you across to your promised land. Amen.